Thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the Ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. So Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 16, we're going to be reading through 18. I'm reading from the NIV. It says this, just so you know, before I read into it, we're continuing with our series on spiritual warfare. Now, there are all different types of directions that we can go and, and all types of different things in Scripture that you can talk about on spiritual warfare, the battle that's happening, the unseen battle, um, the, 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 the reality of Satan and the reality of God and the reality of the power of God is over Satan, all kinds of stuff. But tonight... It's particularly going to be speaking out of this passage, and uh, I believe God's going to say something great to us. So Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or the gates of hell will not overcome it. Everyone say gates. It goes on verse 19. I'm just going to read it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't believe it's behind us, but I will give you the keys of kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, there is a lot in this passage And there's a lot of stuff going on here that we just will not have the time to look at tonight. And so I want to look particularly at this area of gates, the gates of hell. What are gates? What do they mean? And when Jesus talks about gates here, and and what I'll show you also in other areas of the Bible, he is, I believe he's speaking about something that we see in Scripture often. It's the gates. It's, it's the gates of hell. What do you mean by the gates of hell will not prevail? What does that mean? So I'm going to talk about gates tonight. Everyone say gates. In Scripture, gates speak of authority. It's actually what they speak of. And so the gates of hell actually was a picture of the demonic area of the spirit world. Now, let me explain this why it is. They were in Caesarea Philippi when this happened. They're walking along. Jesus tells his disciples, who do you say that I am? And, and so one, one, they say, well, some say um, uh, John the Baptist, some say Elijah. And he says, no, who do you say that I am? And, and Peter says, thou art the Christ or the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, they were in Caesarea Philippi. I've had the great privilege of walking there. And it's, it's, it's this amazing area where they used to worship, <coughs> excuse me, worship pagan idols. And so there's this mountain behind you when you're walking into this area. And there there are little areas carved up in this mountain that they would put idols. And they would come to this place and they would worship. Now for Jews, they were not supposed to ever go near that area. Because it was pagan, it was demonic, they're never to worship there. And so what that was referred to in the Jewish culture in Caesarea Philippi, that area of where they worship pagan idols was called, once you interpret it, was called the gates of hell. 
And so what Jesus was saying is this statement, Peter, that you just made, that I am the Christ, I am the Son of the living God. This statement that you're saying, he's meaning this, the gates of hell, meaning every false idol, every pagan idol, every demonic activity of worship will never prevail against the reality that I am the Christ, which is pretty cool to me. And so he was helping them explain, but gates represent a form and a realm of authority. And so, the, and what's interesting, this is the first place in Scripture that the church, the word church, is actually mentioned. And what's very interesting is that Jesus gives a function of the church, and he says the church is, to, is the function and the area of target of the church is the gates of hell. That's, that's what he articulates here. So the church's function was to be against this particular area and to have authority to deal with it and to deal with these false religions, to deal with these demonic activities that the the reality of Jesus Christ would not be intimidated, would not be pushed back, would not suffer anything from this lousy stuff. Remember Jesus from this lousy stuff that's going on behind me. That's what Jesus is talking about. So he's infusing courage into these men that, listen, you're following the right guy, and it's going to be a blast over the next several years of your life. And so he begins to talk to them about this. But gates and doors are often used as as an, an analogy in the Bible. Jesus said this. He said, I am the door. If you want To basically be in the sheepfold, you need to pass through the door. That's what Jesus said in the book of John. Revelations 3.20, he says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open, then I will come in and have fellowship with him. So this area of door means something. Gates are a point of access. Doors are a point of access. They are a place where authority can be exercised and a decision can be made. So gates signify the authority of a particular city. When you you are, um, you know, back in the day, a lot of times now they will give you, a mayor will give you the key to the city. But many, many years ago, they would give you a key to the city gate because it means you are trusted, you are honored, you could come and go as you please. So it's important to talk about access points. I'm going to talk to you about access points and gates because, for one, we all have them. We all have access points. We all have gates that are happening, that that we can control. And uh, it's very interesting, actually, when you study, when you start looking into these areas of the Word of God, um, gates is where the elders of the city used to gather to make decisions. So if there was a problem going on in the city, they'd call a meeting, and guess where they would meet? They would meet at the city gate. And it's at the city gate that they would make a decision on what they're going to do, what direction they're going to go. And if you, what's, what's so cool, you can go to Israel now, and you can stand in some of these older cities, and the gates were, they were almost like miniature palaces where the gates would open, the gates would close. But they were meeting areas for the leaders of the city to make decisions about the life of the city. So if there was a conflict, you would go there to seek a decision. So the city gate was a place where decisions would be made. So anytime you see gate or door, there is something else going on there. God is saying something in his word. And so gates are the means by which the enemy 
gains access to a particular area in our life. Gates are access points. And the nature of a gate, it's not permanently fixed, is it? It's not fixed. You don't, you don't set a gate. It's not called a gate if you can't open it or if you can't close it. It's called a wall. It's called a fence. But it's called a gate when it can be opened or it can be closed because there's an access there. You guys following what I'm saying? I'm, I'm kind of going a little slow so we can, we can get this. So it has options. So what causes gates to open or to close? What causes gates to open or close? Anyone? Right, right. So you can go in, you can come out. So when you walk up to a gate, you have to make a what? A decision. Are you going to open it? Are you going to stand there and look at it? It's gates. So gates open and close through this thing called human decision. Human choice. Again, Jesus said in Revelation 3, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will what? Open. Then I'll come in. He didn't say I'm going to kick it down. He didn't say it's already open. He didn't say I'm going to knock you, the, the, the fence down. It's a door. And if you open it, I will come in. Which means you have the option to keep it closed. So it was a, it's a human decision. Jesus is saying, I will come into your life if you make the decision to allow me into your life. So the access point also for the enemy is human decision. We can choose to open or we can choose to keep shut. There's actually, it, there's much further teaching on this. There's offensive and there's defensive. Defensive says, you're not getting in here. I'm keeping this baby locked. Offensive is, I'm going to I'm open this gate because I want to shove it into your face. That's what I want to do. And there, there are, there's an offensive and a defensive. So it's important to understand, especially in spiritual warfare, that finding access points gives us a place to point our prayers to. Because if, if there's an access point, there's, there has to be something that influences those access points. So here's the question. Um, how much of the devil is allowed in Arvada? How much is allowed? And I guess the question or the answer would be exactly the amount that people have allowed him to be here. So how much is the devil allowed in our lives as followers of Jesus? As much as you've allowed him to be there. So you begin to think, what access points have I allowed the enemy to come into my life? And you can really begin to, to really look into your, into your home. How do you, what do you allow into your home? What do you allow to entertain you? They're, they're human decision. What do, I allow my, what do I give myself to? What do I allow? And we're, I'll get ahead of myself. I'll slow down a little bit. So... Gate is a human choice. For an individual, 
It's what people allow. But here's the other side because we're church folks. We believe in the church. We've invested in the church. We sow in the church. The church is the hope of the world. Jesus left us with his message. Come on, go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's the hope of the... But here's, here's the other thing. There's a thing called spiritual authority and spiritual covering. So in your life, what, what is allowed in your life is, is it's a, that gate is a human decision. But also... There is a corporate human, a corporate decision of your leaders. So if, um, if you're, if the pastor, which is not true, if, I'll just say if me, I, I won't say anything with Pastor George, but if, if you find out that, hey, Jason is carousing and running around and, and getting drunk and, and you think, wait a minute, I, that makes us as a church vulnerable. Because he's, the lead, he's one of the leaders of the church. Or what if the elders are, are not living lives that are pure and there is an access point in their life, which then if they are overseeing the church, the function of the church, then it allows, that's an access point into the church's life. That's why, for one, it matters who you submit to. It matters what church you go to. I'm, there are lots of great churches out there, but it does matter. So, human decisions. So I'm going to talk to you about gates and uh, some practical things of gates. So four gates or four, four access points. And I'm going to talk tonight particularly about individuals. Um, for us individuals. The first one are our thoughts or our mind. See, the devil loves to put thoughts in our mind. This is a massive part of our warfare because it creates, it, it all begins in the mind. Every action begins with a thought. There is never an action without us first thinking about it. Ex- excuses there, there are that we can, we can come up with that, uh, well, I can do this because of that. If we rationalize, then we make decision. But also, the enemy comes against us to our minds. He accuses me. He lies to me. And see, we can be saved, we can be delivered, we can be healed, but I want you to hear this for a moment. But if we think wrong, we will be ineffective on the earth. And so he, listen, if, if, if he can't keep you from being saved, he will keep you from having an impact by, by messing with our minds. So if we, if we are only concerned about who has a demon, who doesn't have a demon, we're going to miss the major part of warfare, which is the mind. It's our thoughts. And if, we can't, if he can't keep us from being saved, he'll do, us, he'll do his best to render us, again, totally ineffective. So we need to learn how to discern what the enemy is saying so we can refuse it and cast it down and replace it with God's thoughts. So, because everything, it's a gate. The, the thought is a gate. And so, not just our thoughts and minds. I'm just not talking about lustful thoughts. Because that's what immediately everyone thinks, oh, lustful thoughts. Or, or those, those sexual thoughts. That's not really all that's going on. Let me, let me talk to you. What about Pride. What about an, an, a, an issue of pride or I'm more spiritual than you are? Or I have a better spiritual heritage than you do? Listen, I heard this a lot um, and, and through Bible college. I think it's great that people have generations of pastors in their, in their, in their lineage. I think it's wonderful. I, I mean, that's something to be proud of in a good way that that's happening. But, but what, what, about, what about those who don't have that? Well, isn't Jesus good enough to have in my lineage? 
that, that can give me the authority to do what everything he's called me to be? Do I have to have my grandpappy's grandpappy who was a preacher in some field one day? Does that make me better? But I've seen it, that all of a sudden pride comes up. And they think, well, I actually have more access to God than you do because of who my great-great-grandpappy was. Or what about pride, things that say Americans are better than the rest of the world? Is, can that be an access point where pride begins to come in? Or you see this one a lot in, in some churches or certain areas of Christianity that my group is the only group that really has only real revelation. Pride comes in. Or my version of the Bible is the, re, the only real version of the Bible. Everything else is really bad. Or it'll deceive you if you read it. And all of a sudden, pride comes in. And again, what's the point of the enemy? The enemy is to render you ineffective on the earth. So if he can get you to think you're better than, you've got the corner on the market on revelation, that really no one else, all of a sudden you isolate yourself, and, and there's this saying in church that says this, we four and no more. And you become ineffective in advancing and pushing the kingdom of God forward, attacking the gates of hell, the decisions of hell, the influences of hell, and you become prideful. There are those areas. Proverbs 8.13, God says this, I hate pride and arrogance. It's actually one of the strongest languages that we have of God speaking. He hates it, despises it. Why? Because it renders us useless. What about thoughts of criticism and judgment that we have? Our minds can be bombarded with thoughts that criticize the way people do things. And all of a sudden, boy, we start criticizing. Man, we walk in a, in a place and we start finding everything that's wrong with it. That is, the enemy is influencing your mind. Because he wants to render you ineffective. You know what? I don't know about the, how Faith Bible Chapel is run. I don't know about all of this. And all of a sudden you become critical. I'm not, I'm not saying criticism is, I welcome it. Openly welcome it. Listen, we want to be the best that we can possibly be as a church. If we're doing something wrong, listen, we better correct it right now because this is Jesus' church. It doesn't belong to a man. But on the other end, you can become so consumed with everything that is wrong that it renders you ineffective and it robs you. What about thoughts of fear? Our thoughts dwell on the negative, the what-ifs in life. I think I'm going to die. I think I'm going to run out of money. I think this plane is going to crash. It's, I, I, I'm never going to get married. The, everyone hates me. And guess what? None of it is true. But it renders you totally ineffective. These thoughts keep us bound our entire life because of the what ifs. What about thoughts of unbelief? So it's, these, these are thoughts. They, they begin to come in, and if he can't hit you with one, he'll hit you with another. If he can't hit you with this one, he hit you with another. Because he wants you to begin to, be, to believe and, rend, and, and start something in our thoughts that will act out in the manifestation of our lives. So thoughts of unbelief. These keep us from living a life of faith. They sound like this. You know what? God can't provide for me. 
Or this one, this nation is just too far gone. How about this one? I, we're, you know what? We're just going to face God's judgment. And you think, well, apparently we already are due to this election. That's what it feels like. Or God can't use me because of my past. Again, these are hindering thoughts. What about this, these thoughts? Thoughts of contention or strife. We share our opinions and our thoughts with no regard for another person. We hide under our self-righteous banner of truth. I had some friends, we used to tell them, man, listen, you beat them to death with the Bible. You assaulted him. You assaulted them under the banner of truth. You had no disregard. But, but all of a sudden, it, it becomes such a driving force of thoughts of contention and strife. Or maybe things like this, well, she, you know, she just needs to know what I think. Why? Have you, have, you ever, have you ever thought long enough to say, why? Why do they need to know what you think? They don't. You're exactly right. But again, these thoughts begin to make its way into a community of people. And begin to, to work its way, the cleverness of the enemy through thoughts, to render just not you ineffective, but they ultimately want to render other people ineffective. Now, listen, there were a hundred different ways you can go, go with these thoughts. These are just the ones that I'm going with tonight. Or there's the, the other one. You've probably heard me say this before. Before It's thoughts. How do you know is this thought from the Lord? Well, listen, have you ever had an argument in your head with someone, and you imagine them telling them this, and when you said that, they said this, and then you said that, and the whole conversation takes off in your head, and it's not even real? And your heart's pumping and your adrenaline's going and you haven't even had a real conversation with anybody. Thoughts of strife. Thoughts of contention. So how about this? If maybe, maybe you haven't struggled with those. I'm gonna, there are two things that, are, that will touch every Christian on the planet. And the reason why I'm... I'm, I'm I really want to pull the covers off of, this, uh, off of these thoughts so we can realize, wait a minute, those are from the enemy. Those are, those are thoughts, and thoughts are a gateway. They're an access point. What about these two things? Inferiority and condemnation. Every Christian on the planet at some point is going to deal with one of these two things. Feelings and thoughts of inferiority and feelings and thoughts of condemnation. Inferiority is this thought that I'm not everything I'm supposed to be. I'm always short. I'm never good enough. And even not just in our being, it's, it even we be, it begins to work its way deeper in us in our everyday life. I'm not tall enough. I'm too tall. I'm, I'm too skinny. I'm not skinny enough. I'm, big, I'm not big enough or I'm, I, whatever. I'm not man enough. I'm not woman enough. I don't come from the right family. I'm not spiritual enough. If I only had a different husband, if I only had a different wife, if I only wasn't single, if I had this, I could do a great work for God then. And all of a sudden, there's, you just, I'm just never enough. 
And so the enemy uses, and then once you come into agreement and alignment with that thought, it begins to render you ineffective. What's really interesting, there are whole countries and races that have inferiority complexes. I've been to countries. One country, it's called the tall poppy syndrome. I don't know if you've heard it or not. It ha- it's in the British culture. It's also in Australian culture. And they have a name for it, the tall poppy syndrome. And so the, what, what they do is they, they, you, you, want it, you, want to, you want people to grow. You want to, you want to expand. You want to become as successful. But, but once you get to a certain point, all of a sudden you're like, oh, I, I shouldn't be this successful. And they, what they do is they, in their culture, they whack the tall poppy off. In other words, once you get to a certain point, they, they feel like they need to humble you. And so they're always being critical. There's this critical spirit. So the reality, if you are in Christ, then you are somebody. And anything is possible in your life. You look at the great men and women of the Bible, they were never bound by what they were not. Ever. Actually, it was almost as though God said, let me find the most ridiculous story that I can write with, oh, you'll do. That's what, that's what I think God put his hand on my life because he thought, let me find the biggest knucklehead, the biggest person who, in the yearbook, you know, most likely to do nothing with their life. Yep, I'll use Jason. God does not evaluate what you have before he gives you a purpose. And he gives you a purpose and then he equips you with everything that you need. So why would we start to ask ourselves, well, I don't know, before I could do this, before I could accomplish that, let me first look at my life and see if I have what it takes. God's like, well, what are you talking about? You were nothing without me. And I, and I came to you and made you something. What makes you think I need what you have to do something now? I just need a willing heart. We were made in God's image. This is why we need to spend time in the Word. We need to be reading to find out who you actually are, not who you feel like you are. Because there were times that I don't feel like anybody. But when I read the Word... I begin to see God's plan for my life. I begin to read stories of a guy like Gideon or a stutterer like Moses. And I begin to read this David who really, I don't think his daddy liked him at all. And Joseph who God, you know, his brothers wanted to kill him. I mean, he, was, he was just, I mean, imagine all the stuff that was going on in their heads. But God said, you'll do. Because they allow God to define their, their future not anyone else, not their thoughts of who they are. So if the devil can keep you feeling inferior, then you will always be comparing yourself to somebody else. You'll always be hurt. You'll always feel down. You'll always feel like people are against you. Can I really go? Can I really do that? Can I really get involved? That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to make you feel inferior. And you're always fighting. But you're never breaking through. The other thought that destroys believers is the thought of condemnation. This is the feeling that most Christians have in their lives. 
I had a roommate actually in college who struggled with this so much. I, I, my heart breaks. He's doing great now. He's married. He's in ministry. But, man, I, I mean, he was, he was getting saved every other day. Because he just wasn't good enough. He'd have one, he'd have a, a bad thought or negative thought, and he would just throw him off, throw him off his game. He was always, and so the enemy was condemning him. And one of the things the Bible calls the devil is an accuser. The accuser of the brethren or sisterin, whatever, whichever one you want to say. <laughs> he's the accuser. In other words, he's always got his bony finger in your face telling you how filthy you really are. This is a real funny, uh, I just thought of it. I, I, um, I had to work through some mental battles today. Some negative thoughts and emotions and with a couple individuals and I was trying to process and they had done something, and I was frustrated they had done it. And all of a sudden, man, I found myself in my office like, oh, man. I'm, it, and I was studying for this. And I was just trying to, oh, I can't believe. Man, what are they? What? And then you start thinking, man, if they're gonna, they continue to do this and this and this, then we'll have to do this. And, oh, my gosh, and what, they're going to affect this and this is going to be. And all of a sudden, before I knew it, I was like eight months down the road of how terrible it's going to be. <laughs> and I had, but I couldn't stop the thoughts. I don't know if you've ever been there. I just couldn't stop them, man. They were, it was like, zzzz. and I, so you think you get a hold of this one, and then three more would come. You think, ah, oh. so, and then you start thinking, this must be the Lord showing me what's going to happen. <laughs> so I, but I stood up, and all of a sudden, I, I, I said, wait a minute, this is not of the Lord. And in just a moment, we're going to read the passage about taking captive every thought. I began walking around my office, and you know what I did? I began worshiping the Lord. Lord, I exalt you. And all of a sudden, he began bringing scriptures to my mind. Lord, I thank you that though man makes the plans, you order the steps. Lord, I thank you that man cannot thwart the will and the plans of God. Lord, I thank you that, that you are bigger than any individual or person or manipulation. You're bigger than all of that. Lord, I thank you that I don't have to have all the answers because you have all the answers. I just have to trust you. I just have to obey you. Lord, thank you. And I begin, you know, oh God, I open up this, in the psalm. I believe in 93 I was reading. A lot of times I read the psalms as my own prayer because I feel like David and I are like kindred spirits. Oh God, hear my cry. And then all of a sudden, they begin to quiet. And I had wisdom and clarity. And I thought, God, you're bigger than this. But it began, and then what happened, I started to think, I, I don't have what it takes to resolve this issue. Maybe, maybe I'm just in the wrong position. Maybe. And all, it just keeps going, going. And then, then the Lord says, Jason, your first statement is correct. You don't have what it takes. But I never asked you to have what it takes. I asked you to say yes to me. So, I got off, got off the page there for a moment. Because condemnation is this thought that you're not pleasing God. And the law points to all these areas of our lives. Points to our failings. Points to our sins. Points to shortcomings. It's relentless. The enemy 
is relentless. And it pushes you in a corner, has you cowering, has you losing self-worth. I'll never be good enough. I'll never do this because of this and this mistake in my past. And I, I had this thought and now I'm condemned by it. And then what happens is the enemy uses what I like to call truth out of context. He uses truth out of context to condemn you. Now listen, I hope you get this. And you might think, what do you mean truth out of context? Isn't truth truth? Well, let me show you a scripture. Deuteronomy 27, 26. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Is that true? If you dwell on that enough, oh, <laughs> I'm cursed. Even when you want to go to the New Testament, you can go to Galatians chapter 3. Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. That's New Testament. Is that true? Hmm. But... If you keep reading, it goes on to say this. For all, actually, it begins, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. And it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. But don't stop reading. Clearly no one who relies on the law is justified before God. Because the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, it says, the person who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curses everyone who hung on a pole or hung on a tree, meaning Jesus Christ. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Amen. Come on, we should give the little hand about that. But the enemy says, you're cursed. You failed. You sinned. But what happens is he highlights truth out of context. And you begin to think, I am a wretched man. I have no place. And you begin to be condemned. And it cripples you. How many here have failed? We've all failed. And Satan constantly reminds you of that failure, pointing us to that scripture. Cursed is everyone who does not obey everything in the law. So how do we deal with condemnation? And I'll tell you how. We say, you're right. I've failed. But Christ redeemed me from my failure. I'm no longer under the curse. Jesus took the curse that you're trying to pin on my forehead. He took it, Satan. And I, that I deserved. And he nailed it to the tree with him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed my transgression. We embrace accusation. 
because it's true. But we praise Jesus for his work. And we let the work of Jesus trump the guiltiness of our lives. That's beautiful. You see, Jesus did not just cover up our sins. He washed them away by his own blood. I, I, I've said this statement before, and I say it, and I pause because I like the shocking factor of it. God actually has not forgotten your sins. He has not. To forget something is an accidental behavior. If, if Listen, my wife says, hey, did you pick this up? And I say, oh, I forgot. I accidentally forgot because God knows I did not want to forget again. <laughs> it's accidental. God says in Hebrews 8, 12, Isaiah 43, 25, Jeremiah 31, 34, he says this, I choose, I will remember their sins no more. In other words, I choose not to remember them. He didn't accidentally forget. He chose not to remember them. It was an act of his will to pardon you and to forgive you and to say, I choose not to remember you. So when you come to him, begin to re rehearse your sins to him. Rehearse why you're cursed. Rehearse why you can't abide in him. He says, what are you talking about? I have chosen not to remember your sins. Now, our English language would say, well, then God forgot them. No, he didn't forget them. He just chose not to remember them. It was an act of his will. He, did, he does nothing accidentally. He does everything purposely. That makes our forgiveness even more beautiful because he himself who can forget. Listen, he's God. He, does, he looks at time in it like, a, I don't know what you want to call it. He see, we see time this way. He sees time this way. He sees it all at once. Like, how does he forget? He doesn't forget, but he chooses to not remember some things. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and forgive us of our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. If that's not your experience, if you haven't experienced that freedom, here's your first step. You just repent. And if you have repented, then it is your experience whether you feel it or not. No matter what your thoughts tell you, he is faithful and just to forgive you, and he has. So your, your experience does not, does not hold more weight. Or what you feel doesn't hold more weight on the reality that if you've repented, you are forgiven. But the enemy likes to put thoughts on our head that your feelings are actually more real than the work of the cross. But I've, I've asked for repentance. I've asked God to forgive me. I've, I've laid my life down at his feet, but I don't feel that. It doesn't matter what you feel. You are forgiven. Jesus became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. He became all that I am, hear this, so that I can become all that he is. Jesus said, if you take my background, then I will take your background. And this is what, how we overcome condemnation. Your time or experience in your background of evil, that's what we think. Yeah, but you don't know. Man, I was in sin for 30 years. 
Well, listen, your, your season of sin has nothing on the time that Jesus spent in holiness and righteousness. He has been around from, from before time ever existed. He has more time in holiness and righteousness than you have in your 30 years of sin. In other words, he, he is superior to all. Satan wants to limit you in your own mind and diminish the work and word of Jesus in your life. So the key scripture here, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they are divine power to demolish strongholds. We, it's funny how he goes from that straight to we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So you, you cannot fight in the spirit world with natural worldly thoughts. You just can't do it. You can't fight with thoughts of competition, or thoughts of fear, thoughts of pride, thoughts of arrogance. We replace the lies with the truth of God's word. Truth, it's like a bouncer outside of a, uh, out of a, outside of a nightclub. Not that I've ever hung out in one, but some of you have, and it's part of your story and testimony. Um, but truth is like a bouncer. If the thought is not truth, then remove it. Then bounce it out of there. Get it by the scrim of the, of the back of the neck and just toss it outside. And say, no, you don't belong here. I'm not having you here. The word says this. You're not coming in here with that. It's kind of like security at the airport. You, it can't come in until it goes through the screening. you got to stand like this, put your hands up, go like this. It goes, zzz, zzz. nope, sorry, you're out of here. You're not allowed to come in because you're not truth. The truth, the God's word is the screen. It's the TSA of our minds. Now, Sorry, TSA, I don't want to compare TSA to the truth. But you know what I mean. So do you have a, the question is this, do you have a right to be in my Christian mind? The answer is no. Start filtering them through truth. Secondly, we won't have time to finish this tonight. And I want to be um, honoring of your time. The second thing or major gate and access point in our lives is our attitudes and negative emotions, our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says this, keep your heart carefully, keep it, guard it. In the Christian community, we're, we're very heavy on sins of action. Boy, we can spot them all the way. Yep, you did this, you did that. I, I saw you, this happened. But we seem to miss a lot of sins of attitude. We seem to excuse them a little bit, don't we? Imagine you were to do some investigation of me. And so you Googled me while I'm up here teaching. You found out that I was an adulterer. You found out I had multiple wives. You found out I have my own television show called Sister Wives or something. I don't know. I said, because it's an actual show. It's, I, anyway. You found out I was a liar. You found out I was a murderer. You, you, you found that, that I, I regularly smoke weed. I mean, you found all this out. There would be a quick reaction <laughs> with many of you. I hope there would be. And you would say, oh, man, I'm, I'm, I'm getting out of here. I'm not listening to this idiot. 
There, people would make, uh, they would say, I'm never going to church again. I'm never, I'm never coming back to Faith Bible Chapel again. By the way, none of, the, none of those are true. Just so you know, none of those are true. You're welcome to Google my name all you want. But what if you found out that I lost my temper often? Or I was jealous of other pastors or preachers or I was independent or I was unteachable or I wasn't patient or I was resentful. This wouldn't throw you off as much, would it? You might even hear this and say, well, isn't it great that, you know, we have a pastor who's, who's human. And we're heavy on sins of activity, but not so much on sins of attitude. Jesus dealt with this. He actually spoke to this. He told the Pharisees, listen, you look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead man's bones. You stink. There's no life in your heart. There's no, there's no joy. There's nothing going on, on the inside. You look good, but you are not good. Jesus actually went on further. He said, you may not commit adultery on the outside, but in your heart, you're lusting. The law says do not murder, and I say don't even have anger, anger in your heart. So Jesus is, it takes these attitudes very, very seriously. Now, they're the same thing that we submit under Jesus Christ, but we cannot let them slide. But they're access points, these negative emotions. We spend much effort to watch what comes out of our mouths, but we wouldn't have to if we took care of our heart. Attitudes, negative emotions. What comes from your mouth proceeds from your what? From your heart. You want to really know what's in someone's heart? Listen to what they say. You want to know if someone's prideful? They're always telling you what they can do. Our attitude, it's a big deal in warfare. It's a big deal when we're talking about spiritual warfare. There are two key scriptures to understand spiritual warfare in the New Testament. Ephesians 26, sorry, Ephesians 4, verse 26 through 27 says this. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. In other words, anger in your life gives the devil a what? A foothold. So it's an attitude problem. 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not aware of his, for we are not aware of his schemes. So in other words, Satan can outwit us because of attitudes in our hearts. So this is showing that the attitude can give the devil a place or opportunity in our lives and open gates for him to have access into us. So how do we keep our attitudes, and I'll close with this. How do we keep our attitudes right and give no place for the devil? I'll tell you how. It's very simple. Keep short accounts with God. Keep short accounts with God. A mentor of mine, when I was younger, as a teenager, I was getting ready to turn 20. I said, man, what's the key of like really living your life for God? He said, keep short accounts with God. When you have, a, when you have a, a bad thought, give it to Jesus immediately. When you, have a, when you sin, give it to Jesus immediately. See, the Bible doesn't say we won't become angry. It doesn't say that. It says to deal with your anger. Keep short accounts. So don't let the, go down, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. What, what is, what's he saying? Deal with your anger. 
take care of it. You may become resentful. So how do you deal with it? You forgive. So deal with it. These attitudes become access points for the enemy in your life. It's kind of like this. Listen, we live in a world, you're, you're going to get angry. You're going to get upset. I'm going to disappoint you somewhere along, along the way. I promise you I will. How about that for a promise? I promise you I'll disappoint you. I'll do something or, or whatever, whatever it may be. I guarantee you if you're married long enough or you have a relationship long, whatever it may be, they're going to disappoint you. So you can't get through life without having these emotions and attitudes and frustrations or being angry. It's kind of like you can't keep your body from sweating. So you take a shower. You deal with it. You can't, you can't help from getting bad breath. So you brush your teeth. Same way. Things are going to happen. We just need to deal with it. That's all, that's all Paul was saying. That's all just short. Life happens. You're going to get angry. You're going to get jealous. You're going to get resentful. But you need to deal with it. Don't let the sun go down. I don't think this is about a particular time, actually. I, I really believe um, if you're aware that your attitude is wrong, you need, you need to deal with it ASAP. So if you get angry in the morning, don't think, well, I've, I've got 12 hours before I have to deal with this. That, that's actually not, that's not what he's saying there. Deal with it ASAP, as soon as possible. <laughs> so it's not just attitude. It is, can be also negative emotions. I'm going to read you this. I'll close with, with these final thoughts. 1 Peter 5, 6. Peter, Peter says, says, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert. And of sober mind, your enemy the devil prowls like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Peter says, humble, humble yourself. Because there are going to be times that the emotion of pride comes in and we're going to have to deal with it. How do we deal with it? Through humility. We cast it down and we humble ourselves. So don't let the destructive emotion of also anxiety limit but deal with it by trusting, by repenting, by saying, God, I, I, I'm really anxious. And, but what it comes down to is I'm not trusting that you are in control. I'm not trusting that you know better. I'm not trusting that you're going to work all these things out. Be alert. Be of sober mind. Be self-controlled. Be on guard. Be aware. Don't be apathetic of what's going on in your heart. Filter your emotions through your identity with Jesus and in Jesus Christ. That is God's call for us. That is, these are some access points. There's another gate I want to talk about, but I won't do that tonight. But we have to know, the enemy roars. It's interesting, he says the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. He didn't say like a biting lion. You notice the difference? Man, I'll tell you what, I remember this one time we were looking at some houses with some family. They were buying these, they were wanting to buy a house. We went to go look at them. We pulled up to this house and we, we stepped out and it was, they had this open, beautiful front yard and it flowed around the corner. And we were looking and all of a sudden I heard this, this growl. And I looked up and there was this 200 pound Rottweiler. 
and he barked, and it was like lower than my voice. Like, I didn't have to be bit by him to be scared of him. But the reality is he was on the other side of a fence, and he could not get to me. But his bark and growl put great anxiety in my heart. And that's what we need to know. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. How does a roar? Can we, let's put that scripture back up in 1 Peter if you don't mind. The enemy, the enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. A roar cannot devour you. So how do you defeat the devil when he roars. Because naturally, listen, if I was in a jungle and I heard a, 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 a lion roar, man, I'll tell you what, I would be scared. I've heard them up close, and even when they're on the other side, it, it moves something inside of you. Sometimes it moves things you don't want it to move inside of you. <laughs> I won't explain any more of that. So what do we, when the enemy roars at you, what do you do? I'll tell you what I do. I do the opposite of what his roar makes me want to do. If all of a sudden I begin to take a step of faith and make a decision, all of a sudden I hear the roar and I get anxious, I get scared. Guess what? I step a little bit further. I, I put my head down and with everything is in me, I say I will not allow the roar of this lion to scare me, to back me down, to push me back to some corner. I'm moving forward. Or I'm not, I'm not leaving. All of a sudden the roar happens in a negative emotion. I'm not leaving this place based on a negative emotion. I'm staying right here. I'm not going to find another church. I'm not going to find another whatever. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, well, I'll just give up. I'm not going to just give up on that relationship. No, you know what? I'm going I'm to do the opposite of what that roar tells me to do. I'm going to say I'm going to move a little forward. Because I won't allow the roar of the lion to devour me and make and render me ineffective on this earth. I don't care what my emotions tell me to do. I'm not doing anything unless my father tells me to do it. And peace and confidence and trust always follows the father's roar. Always does. When the enemy roars, it wants to back you down. When the father roars, it pulls you forward. So I will do the opposite of everything the enemy tells me to do. So we've looked at a couple gates tonight and doors of decision. And my encouragement to you, don't let the devil rob you from God's best by him inspiring negative emotions, thoughts that are going to cripple you. Some of the things God will ask you to do, listen, they've never been done before. He's, the enemy's going to try to back. Some of the things God's going to lead our church to do, and listen, and I mean this with all of my heart, they've never been done before. God's been waiting for a season and a time to do something that's going to reach thousands of people for the glory of himself and bring them to the place of redemption and deliverance. And he's going to open prison doors. He's going to release the oppressed. He's going to open blind eyes. He's going to do things he's never done before. And guess what? The enemy doesn't like it. So he's going to roar. He's going to tell us, no, you can't do that. It's never been done before. Well, good, because we're going to do it. Amen. 
They're not always going to make sense. But let's do the opposite of what the devil's roar tells us to do. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.